brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. Today we'll be filing a response to the Colorado Attorney General at the U.S. Supreme Court, and hopefully this effort by Denver Bible Church and our attorneys will be a step toward protecting Coloradans from a possible vaccine passport. So I want to tell you about that. Also, did you see in the news... Darwin's Arch collapsed. Want to talk about that. And last night's presentation, boy, was that fun. Tremendous response. That should be on YouTube soon on the global flood and the scientific predictions. And the main thing we're covering on today's program is I will be presenting some false teaching. I'm going to do my best to provide false teaching to the body of Christ, tuning in. So how many times listening to Christian radio through your life for a year, the last 40 years, how many times has a host come on and said, today I'm going to do some false teaching? Maybe maybe you've never heard that before. I don't think I've ever heard it before, but I'm going to do it, and it's going to be sincere. Here is the teaching that we can get straight out of the Bible that everyone, including me, would say is false teaching if we don't understand it correctly, if we don't rightly divide the Scriptures. Some people, you tell them, hey, you know, you got to rightly divide the Bible, and they think you just said something heretical, and then you show them that Paul said, if you don't rightly divide the Scriptures, you'll be ashamed. When you see the Lord, you'll be ashamed because you allowed confusion to reign in your understanding of God's Word rather than the clarity that comes from rightly dividing. So I will be I will be presenting a teaching that will look at one of God's commands and that you need to be obeying this command. That's what I'm going to be presenting. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. First of all, our filing today, we're scheduled to file this yet today at the U.S. Supreme Court. I realize it's 5 p.m. there, so probably as I was preparing for the show, our attorneys have already filed. But while we were traveling to the full-size ARC in Kentucky, the Colorado legislature dealt with a vaccine passport in that the Republicans introduced a preemptive measure that businesses cannot require people to be vaccinated. So that's like a preemptive measure against a Colorado vaccine passport. And the Democrats shut down that effort. So there is a real risk that Colorado may proceed in the direction that the left around the country wants to proceed with a vaccine passport. So here's what's going on. In our 
lawsuit that we've now brought to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the court hasn't decided yet whether or not they're going to hear the case, but the Colorado Attorney General, a couple weeks ago, he made an argument against our lawsuit, against our brief, and we are now responding. One of his arguments, and this is related, has to do with a 1905 decision the Jacobson decision, that we have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to nullify their own decision, Jacobson. It's one of those rulings that the government has used over the years. Remember that in America, 60,000 people were sterilized against their wishes or without their knowledge. So these kinds of rulings where the government knows best and they could order you to comply with their health directives. So we've asked the U.S. Supreme Court to repeal their own Jacobson decision from 1905, and the Colorado Attorney General argued, he said, we haven't relied on Jacobson. We haven't appealed to the authority of the Jacobson decision in a long, long time, not since December. That's really what they wrote. Not since December. I'm thinking he's going to say not since the 1940s or maybe going back to the Middle Ages. He's not since December. These people, their ability to misrepresent is just extraordinary. So they've been relying on bad legal precedent for a long time. And so we're filing today saying forget about the 1940s, forget about December the state Democratic Party has just struck down a preemptive attempt to stop a vaccine passport. So we know what they would like to do, and they would do it based on the authority of Jacobson. So while the attorney general says it's a moot issue, it is not. Please strike down Jacobson. And we've asked for a lot more in our lawsuit, because even though there's some relief, this morning, the first 10 people I saw walking in and out of an office building, nobody was wearing a mask. That was pretty cool. So even though there's some relief, they could flip a switch and say there's a new strainer for whatever excuse and start it all up again. Just restart the machine with all the infringement on our God-given rights. So we're pursuing our lawsuit at the U.S. Supreme Court, regardless of the fact that things are very slowly getting back to quasi-normal. So, in the South Pacific, there is this iconic arch. It's just absolutely gorgeous. One of the natural arches in the world, These they're just gorgeous, majestic even, many of them, sublime, beautiful, natural bridges, natural arches. In the U.S., we have Arches National Park, and Fred Williams and I, did a program back in March of 2017, our list of collapsing natural bridges and geological formations. And what's interesting is you could use this as a kind of a clock or the inventory of the world being depleted of natural arches. Like in Arches National Park, they have had 43 arches collapse, 43 since they've been counting. How many, and that's since 1977, how many new arches have formed in Arches National Park, this huge 
swath of land protected by the federal government. How many new arches have formed? Oh, zero? None? Hundreds of arches around the world, and we have photos of so many of them that were just beautiful, and now they're gone. And it's really sad. Malta's azure window, gone. The beautiful Punta Ventana in Puerto Rico, gone. We lost that one January 7, 2020. So this month, May 2021, we have lost in the South Pacific Darwin's Arch. We'll put a photograph of it. In fact, Fred Williams and I will talk about that and give a brief update of our list of collapsing natural bridges. But when it comes to Darwin's Arch collapsing, that's more than just another data point in our list showing that all these geological features, they're not hundreds of thousands of years old, millions of years old. They all formed recently in the unusual aftermath of the global flood, for the most part. That's how most of them formed. And therefore, while we see hundreds have collapsed around the world, we haven't seen that inventory being replaced. It's not being replaced. And what that tells you is the inventory had to have been filled recently in the near past, as you read in the book of Genesis. And that brings us to last night's presentation on the scientific predictions that are being made based on the global flood and what a fun time we had. And the response is absolutely wonderful. So it looks like the Twin Cities Christian Science Association will put this on YouTube. And what an honor to be asked to present. And of those in attendance, some were very well-known folks, and it was humbling. It was an honor to have them see the presentation. The slides were powerful. The science predictions, like that you're going to find earth rocks on the moon. And so NASA kept it quiet since Apollo 14 for almost half a century. They never told anybody until 2019 that, by the way, Alan Shepard, they're up there. They bend over, pick up a rock, bring it back, and it's from the Earth. And then we talked about the physics of how do you get, based on their secular model, the absurdity. The moon is 14 million square miles. How wildly unlikely it is to get an Earth rock up to the moon and then an astronaut bends over and out of 14 million square miles, picks up a rock, brings it home, and they're like, oh, this came from the Earth. Whereas Walt Brown's model of the fountains of the great deep explicitly tells us that the moon is pummeled from Earth rocks being ejected in the fountains of the great deep. So, so exciting. Now, to the false teaching. All right, I'm going to make a biblical argument that you need to obey and to teach people to obey God's command when he said that men who are in covenant relationship with him, men must be circumcised. I'm going to make the argument that you need, if you're a male believer and you believe in the God of Abraham, you trust in Jesus Christ, that you need to be circumcised, and if you have a child who's a boy, 
then the child has to be circumcised. Okay, so here's my argument. I already said this is a false teaching, but you test it to see whether or not it sounds solidly biblical. Right? First of all, Jesus commanded men to keep the greater and the lesser laws, and circumcision is one of those laws. That's why you, as a Christian, should circumcise today and teach circumcision to anyone who wants to be part of God's covenant. Abraham and all of his descendants had to circumcise. That starts in Genesis 17, and Abraham is the father of all those who believe, we read. God said circumcision was an everlasting covenant. The Bible says that twice. Circumcision is an everlasting covenant. Everlasting means it doesn't end. So you need to circumcise. Since believers are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, we read that in Galatians 3.29, they should be circumcised, male believers. Isaac, remember Abraham and Isaac? Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. You know where we read that? We read that in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, verse 8, that Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day. And Isaac was a really neat guy in a type of Christ. Remember Abraham brought him up to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice, and God stopped him as he raised his knife to slay the sacrifice, and God said, now I know that you would obey me even in this, and that was the very place. It says in that chapter, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, for on that same mountain, that's where Jesus Christ was offered as a sacrifice, where God the Father offered his only son, Jesus Christ. So Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day. It also tells us that back in Genesis 21. A few centuries later, a few centuries later, God almost killed Moses for not circumcising his son. That's in Exodus 4. We've talked about that. When God gave the law to Moses, he continued to command his people to be circumcised. That's in Leviticus 12. So we're talking about from Abraham in Genesis 17 to right smack dab in the middle of the Mosaic law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. The middle one is Leviticus. The Levites are the third tribe. They were the representatives of the triune God, the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when God gave the law to Moses, he continued, he reiterated his command that his people had to be circumcised. So this is what I'm teaching you. I hope somebody didn't just turn on the show. I'm teaching you that you need to be circumcised and you need to teach others that all male Christians need to be circumcised. Now, if you just tuned in, I'm lying, okay? I'm not telling the truth. But I have to let people know because I don't want people to be confused. But I introduced today's show saying that I was going to be presenting false teaching. But I'd like you to weigh the argument. 
does it seem like a solid argument so far that Christians should be circumcised? I mean, so far. We've talked about the New Testament already a couple times, a few times. So the argument continues. Forty years after the Exodus, God reinforced his covenant of circumcision with Joshua. We read that in the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Nearly 1,000 years after Joshua. So think about this. We're covering a large a large chunk of Israel's history from Abraham until now Ezekiel, nearly a thousand years after Joshua, through Ezekiel, God required circumcision even for Gentiles who would come near to him. In Ezekiel 44, thus says the Lord God, no foreigner uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary. So, uncircumcised in flesh, not just in your heart, right? Like make it symbolic. No, no foreigner uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary. Fast forward more than another half a millennium. Get to John the Baptist. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, that John the Baptist was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. And you remember that, right? Like Jesus, as was the custom of the Jews from ancient times until today even, John was given his name upon being circumcised. Paul was circumcised. The Apostle Paul was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law, Philippians chapter 3. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law. We read that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 21, 27, 39. Jesus taught that whomever breaks one of the least of the commandments of the law shall be called least in the kingdom, and circumcision was one of the commandments in the law. So, do you want Jesus to disapprove of you? But it turns out that circumcision was not one of the least. Jesus said, if you break even one of the least of the commandments, you'll be called least in the kingdom. Well, what if you break one of the greatest of the commandments? You know the Christians who ignorantly say that all sins are equal? That's like saying all commands are equal. But Jesus said there are greater commands and lesser commands. So according to the Lord, and we read this in John 7, Keeping the law of circumcision took precedence even over keeping the Sabbath law of the Ten Commandments. So circumcision is not in the Ten Commandments, right? And it came centuries before the Ten Commandments. Moses wrote about it a little bit later, but the command to circumcise came centuries earlier with Abraham, and even though it's not in the Ten Commandments, Jesus taught that circumcision takes precedence over the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work. On the eighth day of a male baby's life, you're supposed to do the work of the flesh of the circumcision. So Jesus acknowledged what the rabbis had long recognized, that these two commands conflict, and you have to profane one or the other. 
You have to disobey one or the other to obey the other. And so Jesus taught us that the law of circumcision takes precedence over the Sabbath. You violate the Sabbath, you profane the Sabbath in order to keep circumcision, and you do that rightly. So that's how important circumcision is to Jesus. After the resurrection, somebody might say, well, that was all before the resurrection. After the resurrection, and this is where my false teaching really is cooking with gas. I mean, we are firing on all cylinders here. After the resurrection, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told the apostles to teach all nations to obey all the laws that he had commanded them to observe. Matthew 28, 20 in the Great Commission, which included circumcision, right? You read what the Lord says in John 7, Matthew 23, circumcision is part of the Lord's commands. And in the Great Commission, he says, now go to all the nations and teach them to obey and teach them to obey all the laws that I have commanded you to observe. Is that pretty clear? Go there and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. How about this? While the New Testament uses the phrase circumcision of the heart as a metaphor, the Old Testament does so three times also. It speaks of the circumcision of the heart. So just because you could use something as a figure of speech doesn't mean that you have negated God's teaching on the topic. That usage did not negate the requirement to obey God's command to circumcise in the flesh in both Testaments. And Jesus on the eighth day, and John the Baptist on the eighth day, and the Apostle Paul on the eighth day. And God said, no foreigner could come into my sanctuary if they are uncircumcised in the flesh. Is this a good false teaching or what? This is a better false teaching than all the false teachings that are out there. This is the tops of all false teachings. You can't get a better false teaching than you can get here at Bob and Yurt Live. The Apostle James tried to quell the rumor that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was teaching, quote, all the Jews to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to be circumcised. How about that? We're talking well into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21, verses 21 to 24. So here's the Apostle James. By the way, he's not one of the 12. James, people confuse him with the James who was martyred by Herod, King Herod, in the book of Acts chapter 12. That was James, the brother of John, one of the 12 apostles. And by the way, he didn't have to be replaced, even though he was one of the 12. Why is that? Because there's life after death, that's why. Turns out that the Sadducees were wrong. They argued there's no life after death. And Jesus refuted them by saying that, haven't you ever read the burning bush passage? Isn't it weird that the Sadducees, like United Methodist ministers, quite a few rabbis, they can even be atheists, and yet they study the Bible, and they claim to teach the Bible. Weirdest thing, isn't it? So the Sadducees said there's no life after death, and Jesus said, well, you know the burning bush passage 
when God appears to Moses and says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. By the way, they were all circumcised. Jesus commented he wouldn't have said that if there was no resurrection of the dead. If there's no life after death, he wouldn't say I'm the God of Abraham because Abraham is dead. Why? What, would, what do you mean you'd be the God of something that doesn't exist anymore? That wouldn't be bragging much. But Judas had to be replaced because even though he was originally one of the 12, when he killed himself, he was no longer one of the 12. And so by the leading of the Holy Spirit, they chose Matthias to complete, to fill up the number of the 12 apostles for the 12 tribes of Israel. So when James died, when he was killed by Herod, he didn't have to be replaced because he's still one of the 12. So when this James, who happens to be the Lord's brother, James the Lord's brother, so Mary, Jesus was her firstborn. She had other children. Jesus had brothers and sisters, and James was one of the Lord's brothers. None of them, his siblings, believed in him until afterward. And James ends up becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So he tries to quell this rumor. We read it explicitly in the book of Acts chapter 1. He's trying to quell the rumor that Paul teaches all the Jews to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise. And James is saying, that's not true. In Acts 15, the Bible records first century believers insisting that Gentile converts must be circumcised to be saved. How about that one? Jesus is the ultimate example in John 13, 15. He's the ultimate example, and generally believers must live their lives as Christ lived his. We read that by Peter himself, 1 Peter 2.21. If Joseph and Mary circumcised Jesus in obedience to God's law, believers today should obey God's law and circumcise since circumcision is an everlasting covenant. There, that's our best effort at false teaching. Right here at Bob and Yurt Live. Where are you going to get better false teaching? These are powerful points. Christians today should circumcise if you don't rightly divide the word. If you don't rightly divide and realize that God sent Paul as his apostle to the Gentiles with the gospel of the uncircumcision, and Jesus Christ himself authorized Paul to write in Galatians 5, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. Isn't that something? Every covenant theologian is a liar because every one of them are dispensationalists. Every single covenant theologian is a dispensationalist. And of course, Paul points out that it's fine to circumcise for social considerations in Acts 16. But God only forbids us from circumcising as a religious ritual in compliance with the Mosaic Law. That is a sin. That is forbidden. If you'd like to attend Denver Bible Church, if you're traveling through Colorado or you live nearby, please, you're invited. We are right off of I-70 in Kipling. Just look on the website, denverbiblechurch.org. 
It'd be an honor to have you come by. You could subscribe to our monthly Bible studies. You could get the plot, the book, My Life's Work, the plot, or you could get it in audio teachings. So much fun. Just go to kgov.com and click on the store. May God bless you.